Welcome to the Finding Freedom with Food podcast. I'm Cindy Fox, certified intuitive eating counselor, coach, and registered health professional. If you've spent years struggling with food and body image issues, and you're tired of having stress around food control your life, I'm here to help. Here on Finding Freedom with Food, I teach you how to step away from dieting, learn to trust yourself with food, and eat intuitively. Each week, I'll be dismantling unhealthy diet culture practices that are keeping you disconnected from your body's innate wisdom, and I'll be sharing my best tools, strategies, and mindset shifts to help you rebuild the peaceful, sustainable relationship with food in your body that you were born to have. In addition to this podcast, I'm always sharing free resources on my website, findingfreedomwithfood.com, and social. So find me at finding.freedom.with.food on Instagram and findingfreedomwithfood without the dots on other social platforms. Eating really can be effortless, pleasurable, and fun again. So if you're ready to get reacquainted with the intuitive eater inside of you, let's dive on in. Well, welcome back to another episode of Finding Freedom with Food. I'm your host, Cindy Fox, and while officially I'm a registered health professional, certified intuitive eating counselor and coach, I often refer to myself as a diet recovery coach. And on this show, I teach you how to step away from the restrictive behaviors with food that lead to the weight loss regain cycle of dieting. And I provide you with tools and strategies to rebuild a healthy, sustainable, and pleasurable relationship with food. Now, in the last episode, I talked about our body's natural response to food restriction and why weight gain is often the long-term result of restrictive dieting. Most of the people enrolled in my online program, the Intuitive Eating Academy, and those who do one-on-one coaching with me come to me after they have been on more diets than they can count, losing and regaining the weight, often gaining more weight than they lost. And they have a constant thoughts about food in their body. They feel guilt and shame about food. And they believe that there must be something wrong with them because they just find that food holds so much power over them. Now, if you can relate to this, I'm here to tell you that there is nothing wrong with you. Restrictive diets are a setup for failure and they will keep you locked into this never ending cycle of losing and regaining weight. And it's definitely not normal human behavior to have constant thoughts about food in our body. Unless, of course, you're in the midst of a famine and that behavior is required to keep you seeking out enough food to keep you from starving. But the truth is, thinking about food 24-7, well, it's quite normal behavior for chronic dieters. And if you're caught up in this cycle, you may feel that food holds so much power over you. And here's the thing, the cold hard reality is that dieting and food restriction increases the amount of time we spend thinking about food. It's totally normal to have increased thoughts about food when you're dieting and trying to lose weight. Even in the early stages when you're trying to make peace with foods that you've been restricting, you're going to find you might have more thoughts about food. And so this is what we're going to be tackling today. I'm going to share some strategies for how to stop obsessing about food 24-7 and what you can do if you feel that food holds so much power over you. Now, before we dive in though, I have a question that I want you to think about. 
How much time in a typical day do you spend thinking about food, weight, your body, and exercise? Now, if you're not sure, I want you to pay attention for just a day or two and keep track of these thoughts. So pay attention to things like, do you find yourself thinking about your next meal while you're eating the current one? Or avoiding certain foods that you deem as bad and then have more desire than normal to eat them? Or maybe restricting calories, macros, or points and then have continual thoughts about how much you can eat. Or maybe you find yourself looking up the menu before you go to a restaurant, not because you're excited about what they have to offer, but because you need to plan what you'll be allowed to eat when you get there. Or wearing pants that are too snug and then having negative thoughts about your body. Walking past a mirror or a window and body checking and noting all the things that you perceive as your flaws. Or maybe you're feeling guilty for eating more than you intended or planning the exercise that you need to do to burn off what you ate or planning what you're gonna eat tomorrow to make up for what you ate. Now, when you start actually paying attention to these types of thoughts, don't be surprised if you have thoughts about food in your body, if they're present 50%, maybe 75% or more throughout the day. These thoughts, they become so automatic that they just start to feel like a normal part of our lives, right? But what is actually normal? It's normal to have thoughts about food and your body probably somewhere around 15 to 20% of your day. And this means having thoughts about food and your body when you need to, right? So like when you're hungry or when you're packing lunch and snacks for work, or you're writing a grocery list, or you're planning what you're gonna be making for dinner, or maybe you're actually making dinner, or you're putting on clothes to do a workout. Now, if you're spending a lot more time than this, I'm here to remind you that this is not the way that you were born thinking. Programming from diet culture, it makes it feel very normalized to exist this way. So obsessed with food, believing that we lack our willpower when we can't stick to a diet, feeling that food has power over us, and believing that we need to be even more controlled with our eating and feeling bad about our bodies. Now, if you can relate to this, you're not alone. The way that we approach food in our society, it's making us so obsessed with it. And it's estimated that at least half of Americans go on a diet every year. And 42% of the population, the global population, also goes on a diet each year. And restricting food intake increases the amount of time that we spend thinking about food. Mental deprivation also makes us obsess about food. So just thinking about eating less or having thoughts that you shouldn't eat certain foods like carbs or sweets and that you should be eating more foods like salads or vegetables can greatly increase the amount of time that we spend thinking about food and our body. And guess what? Obsessing all day, every day is exhausting and you don't have to live this way. So I'm gonna share with you three strategies that are gonna help you decrease the amount of time that you spend obsessing about food and help you take your power back. So I'm gonna talk about how keeping your body fueled and satisfied by eating enough food throughout the day challenging diet mentality thinking and focusing on productive ways for getting your needs met are all essential to breaking the cycle of obsessing about food 24 7. so let's start with the first one 
why it's so important and how to keep your body fueled and satisfied by eating enough food throughout the day. Now, I discussed the biological changes that happen in our body when we restrict food in the last episode. So if you haven't listened to my episode on the five reasons why restricting food may be causing you to gain weight, I definitely recommend that you do so. Now, you are not weak or flawed or lacking control if you can't stop thinking about food the minute you start restricting your food take or even think about starting a new diet. In the last episode, I shared how our bodies have powerful built-in mechanisms to keep us from starving to death. And there are many studies that have examined how restricting food increases hunger, slows our metabolism, and has other really undesirable effects on our physical and mental health. Today, I wanna talk about one of the first of these studies that took place at the end of World War II back in 1944. And the study was called the Minnesota Starvation Experiment. And it taught us some really important information about what happens when we don't honor our hunger by eating enough to meet our body's needs. Now, the purpose of this study was to help researchers understand how to safely refeed people who were affected by famine during the war. This was really important because when the body is starving, refeeding it too quickly can lead to fatal imbalances in our electrolytes. Now here's what they did. They took 36 physically and mentally healthy young adult male volunteers and they put them on a semi-starvation diet. So they had them eating about half of their usual food intake for six months to lose about 25% of their starting body weight. Now next came a 12 week phase where different methods of nutritional rehabilitation or refeeding were tested in a controlled way. And then finally, there was an eight week phase when the men were allowed to eat whatever they wanted while their food intake was being recorded and the men were being monitored. Now, these men experienced some really profound physical as well as psychological changes during as well as after this experiment. Now, all of the men experienced a lack of energy and dizziness, decreased strength and reduced coordination, also extreme hunger and extreme cravings, and their metabolism slowed by about 40%. Now, they also experienced mood changes and a lack of interest in previously enjoyable hobbies and activities. They were totally preoccupied with food, so much so that they were collecting recipes and reading cookbooks. And then binge eating behaviors were really common as more food was made available. Some of the men would even vomit after binging. Now, while their mood and social behavior started to stabilize after the experiment was over, their eating behavior was not back to normal. Many men, they admitted they were having the urge to eat continuously, and a few of the subjects continued binging to the point of sickness even eight months later. So this study shows that we cannot outthink our biology. When we ignore hunger, 
you're gonna ultimately eat with intensity and in larger quantities. Now, intense cravings and eating large quantities of food, it's a natural consequence to primal hunger that we experience when we restrict food. Now, another thing that I wanna point out about the Minnesota starvation experiment is that the men were well aware that this was a self-imposed experiment and they knew the exact day that the semi-starvation was gonna end. But here's the thing, their bodies didn't know that. And here's why this is important. And here's why this is important. Our hardwired survival instincts don't know the difference between a self-imposed 30-day cleanse, a very low-calorie restrictive diet, or a famine. The fixation, the food anxiety, and rebound binge behavior, well, these are symptoms that ring true for anyone who's experienced food restriction, whether it's voluntary or not. So it all makes sense that you will feel obsessed when you are dieting and restricting food or even contemplating going on a new diet. So you need to eat enough to fuel your body's energy needs or it's just gonna go into survival mode in an effort to keep you from starving. Now, eating enough means responding to your body's natural hunger signals, choosing food that is satisfying to you and eating to the point of comfortable fullness. Now, years of dieting can cause us to become incredibly out of touch with our body's natural cues. Now, if you're having trouble identifying and trusting your body's hunger and fullness cues, Go to hungerfulness.com to download a free copy of my guide, Five Steps to Reconnect with Hunger and Fullness. In that guide, I teach you how to reconnect with your body's signals, those that are telling you when and how much to eat in a way that feels good, keeps you energized, and can prevent overeating and binge eating episodes. Now, if you really struggle with this and you're not sure how much food your body needs or if you're eating enough, it can be really helpful to get some support from an intuitive eating professional who can help you create some structure and work with you through the process to reconnect with your natural instinctual cues that sometimes become dysregulated when you have a long history of dieting behaviors. And if this is you and you want to learn more about my one-on-one -on -one coaching program, you can visit my website, which is just findingfreedomwithfood.com, or you can book a free discovery call with me. I've included a link to book a call with me in the show notes. Now, the next step is to challenge your inner food police. So what am I talking about when I say your inner food police? Well, the food police are the dieting rules that are housed deep within your brain that monitor your food choices and judge everything that you eat. And guess what? You are not born with these types of food judgments. This internal voice, it develops over the years, through years of dieting and exposure to messages that you've internalized from family, friends, doctors, diet programs, social media, magazines, and society about how you should or you shouldn't eat, you know, which foods are good and which are bad. These external messages, they make you believe that your body should look a certain way in order to be acceptable. And it makes you feel guilt and shame about food and your body. And all of this keeps you completely dis disconnected from your body's innate wisdom. And the vast majority of humans are born with the ability to self-regulate our eating. However, dieting and diet culture causes us to lose touch with that internal instinct. So instead of listening to and consistently 
honoring our need for nourishment based on our body's cues, we get stuck in the trap of believing and obeying external rules, which often backfire and they can lead to rebound eating. And think about it, as a culture, we've become so riddled with guilt and shame in relationship to how we eat. Most people would consider it normal to feel some guilt and shame after stealing or lying, but most chronic dieters, they actually experience a comparable level of guilt for doing things like eating bread or chocolate or french fries or eating past 6 p.m. Foods are described as good or bad, healthy or unhealthy, guilt-free or a guilty pleasure. And we get so used to having these thoughts that we don't always recognize that they're causing us harm or that these thoughts, well, they're actually optional. And this is why it's so important to explore your personal food rules. Where do they come from and how are they impacting your eating behaviors? Here's an example. Maybe one of your food rules is to never eat past 7 p.m. even if you feel hunger. This is when you need to get curious. What consequences might this rule be creating? For example, you may recognize that on the nights that you go to bed hungry, you don't sleep as well, you may wake up more tired, and then you end up with increased cravings and eat more food the next day. So that rule about never eating after 7 p.m actually ended up causing more harm than good. Now, here are some other examples of rules that you might adhere to. Maybe you have certain foods that you deem as off limits and that you can only eat on the weekend. Or maybe there is a rule about no snacking between meals, or you may be very rigid with the number of calories, macros, or points that you can consume in a day. Or you feel you need to avoid all sugar and processed foods. Or maybe you limit fruits, especially bananas, because they're higher in sugar content. Or maybe you adhere to rules that diet culture has taught you, such as carbs being bad for you, or that you need to eat only clean whole foods. And what happens when you break a rule? Well, you probably feel guilty and the voice inside your head doubles down telling you that you need to do penance with more restriction or exercise or you just feel like crap. So what do you do? You turn to food to cope with that negative emotion. What if you started viewing these external food rules for what they truly are, an invasion of your boundaries? And think about it. Would you let someone tell you when is the correct moment to go to the bathroom, even if you have to go right now? Of course not, but that's what the food police does. Now think about it, if your bladder is full, but you resist the urge to pee because you just went a couple of hours ago, well, that could lead to feeling really uncomfortable, obsessed with thoughts of a toilet, and it might even lead to an unfortunate consequence. Now, if you're hungry and your inner food police tells you that it's not time to eat, or you can only eat an apple when you're actually craving a more substantial meal, well, that's gonna leave you feeling hungry, unsatisfied, and it may lead to rebound binge eating. Now, here is how you can start tackling your inner food police. When a food police thought comes knocking at the door, and it will, the first thing you want to do is just acknowledge its presence, right? Those thoughts, they've likely had free reign in your brain for quite a while, so it's totally expected that they're going to show up. However, you don't need to invite them in, right? You can greet them with a friendly, oh, okay. I was expecting you. Well, thank you so much for stopping by, but you know what? 
not actually really interested in what you've got to say to me right now. So if you don't mind, I'm going to get back to the important things that I have to do, like living my life, focusing on behaviors that actually are going to be improving my health, and you know what? Doing things that actually add value to the world. Now, over the course of the next week or so, pay attention to the food police voices that show up for you and keep a list of the things that show up. Then I want you to think about how do those food police voices impact your life, right? Don't just believe them, question them. What consequences are they creating for you? What would it be like to abandon some of those rules and start to rebuild trust in your body's intuition? Now, also I want you to think about all that negative talk. You know, how is negative self-talk about your food choices and about your body impacting your life? And how can you begin to challenge those negative thoughts? Now, the last area that I want to talk about is the importance of finding productive ways to get your needs met without using food. Now, as humans, we are needy, and I don't mean that in a negative way. We have many needs to meet each and every day, really to help us continue to function and survive and to thrive. And when we don't prioritize self-care and getting our needs met, we often turn to things like food or wine or other buffers to cope with our emotions. So if self-care is lacking, food can actually be used as a replacement for unmet self-care needs. Now, I'm always encouraging my clients to ensure that they're engaging in good self-care practices because when we don't, we tend to get stressed out, disconnected, and seek out external ways to cope with our life stressors. But the first one is getting adequate sleep. Seven to nine hours for most of us is the sweet spot. And chronic exhaustion can wreak havoc on your eating habits. And a lack of sleep is a common issue that I see with clients who struggle with emotional eating. The second thing is life balance. This is another important need that requires our attention. And it can be challenging to juggle work or school, family responsibilities, all the other things that we have on our plate and still make time for fun, rest, and enjoyable physical activity. So I encourage you to take a step back and assess how well you're balancing your have-to-dos with your want-to-dos. So think about the balance among areas of your life, such as work, family, play, movement, rest, spirituality, and relationships. Are any of these out of balance for you right now? And if so, what can you do to reduce the time you spend on all the have-to-dos to provide more opportunity to focus on some of those want-to-dos? Now, stress management is another big one. There are many aspects of life that can cause stress at various times in our lives. Work and school responsibilities, juggling work and parenting responsibilities, health issues, relationship issues, death of a loved one. I mean, the list goes on. Stress levels can have a serious impact on our eating habits and our health. So having strategies in place to help you manage stress effectively is really important. So I want you to think about what are some of the main stressors that you're facing right now? 
Then make a list of ways that you can manage your stress more effectively. And let me give you a couple examples. You may need to ask for physical help with work or household chores or projects, or maybe spending 10 or 15 minutes making lunches or laying out clothes and other preparation the night before to make your mornings go more smoothly or just setting aside time weekly to plan and stay organized, or setting some boundaries and addressing issues with others versus avoiding conflict. So just a couple thoughts and ideas to get you thinking about ways you might be able to manage stress more effectively. Now, pleasure. This is another area that we need to focus on. Food is a wonderful source of pleasure, but how often are you making it a priority to indulge in other activities that bring you pleasure? Things like hobbies, making time to connect with friends, reading a novel, joining a book club, walking in nature, or engaging in creative activities. Your list may look very different than that, but I want you to think about what pleasurable activities are important to you because these are the things that will serve to recharge and rejuvenate you. So create your wish list of pleasurable activities, those things that you want to engage in, and then make time to carve out time daily or at least weekly to indulge in a little or maybe a lot of those pleasurable activities. Now, to recap, in order to start taking your power back so that you can create a healthy, peaceful, and balanced relationship with food, the one that you were born to have, you need to begin making sure that you're keeping your body fueled and satisfied by eating enough food throughout the day. This can make a huge difference. Also, challenge your inner food police. Now your brain, well, it's gonna serve you a lot of crappy thoughts and nonsense, and that's okay. Here's the thing, those unwelcome guests, they can knock at the door in your brain, but you don't need to engage with them and you don't need to invite them in. Tell them a firm no thank you and then just move on. And then the last one is focus on productive ways for getting your needs met so food isn't used as your main coping mechanism. Well, I want to thank you so much for listening. I hope that you found this episode helpful and that you'll start putting some of the things that you learned into practice. Now, if there are any other topics that you'd like me to cover, leave me a comment, include a request in a review, or send me an email to support at cindyfoxcoaching.com. As always, I hope that you have a beautiful week and I look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you so much for listening to the Finding Freedom with Food podcast. Make sure to check out the show notes for any resources mentioned in this episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave the show a review and let me know what you want to hear more of. Leaving a review will also help others get inspiration, support, and resources to help them on their food freedom journey. If you found this episode helpful, share it on social media and don't forget to tag me at finding.freedom.with.food on Instagram and finding freedom with food without the dots on other social media platforms. And remember, you are not put on this earth to live life obsessed with what you eat and caught up in a never ending battle with your body. So keep focusing on tuning out the diet culture voices and turning up the volume of your body's amazing intuition.